as far as being a leader, I had a guy work for me at Dell who also came to work for me at uh, Acelity. And, um, you know, when, when I was interviewing for my job at Acelity, I actually went to him and said, you know, tell me something about me, right? You know, and he said to me, he goes, you're the best boss I ever had. And I said, well, what, what makes me the best boss you ever had, right? And here's what he told me. He says, you're honest, trustworthy, you're a no bullshit guy. He said, and no, no subject is off limits. So for him to have someone who would be honest with him, good or bad, right? You know, and who he could talk to about anything or any topic and not be put off was important to him. So those were, I mean, those were some of the qualities that I had as a leader. And for people who are starting up companies and planning on having employees, those are the things I think that, are, that should be important to them as well. Welcome to the Passion Struck Podcast. My name is John Miles, a former combat veteran and multi-industry CEO turned entrepreneur and human performance expert. Each week, we showcase an inspirational person and message that helps you unlock your hidden potential and unleash your creativity and leadership abilities. Thank you for spending time with me today, and let's get igniting. Thank you for joining me today on the Passion Struck Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have with us my friend and long-term work colleague, Giles Stewart, who is going to talk to us about what it was like to turn around the operations department at Lowe's Home Improvement to then going to Dell and being one of the first members of the mergers and acquisition team there during a highly turbulent time and his advice for both small business owners and entrepreneurs who want to sell their company to someone like Dell. And for those of you who may be an employee in a large company about the lessons he learned looking at this from the other direction to then exploring, you know, what was it like for him to find his passion again after 65 and his journey to using rowing as his mechanism, not only to ignite his passion there, but all the other things that it helps him instill in his life. For background, Giles is a native New Yorker, born in the Bronx and raised in Nyack, New York. He's a graduate of the State University of New York, a retired IT leader with over 40 years of experience, having worked with some notable companies, including NBC, General Electric, Lowe's, and Dell Technologies. In 2018, Giles retired and found his passion for indoor rowing. He currently resides in Houston, Texas with his wife of 44 years, Anne-Marie, and they are the proud parents and grandparents of four adult children and seven grandchildren. And I wanna kick this episode off with a quote from the American rower, Olympian and rowing coach, Jim Dietz, where he said, rowing is a sport for dreamers. As long as you put in the work, you can own the dream. When the work stops, the dream disappears. And this is such a great setup for today and the passion behind Giles' love for rowing and how owning our own dreams starts with doing the work. 
Hey, welcome to today's episode. I am so glad to have with me Giles Stewart. Welcome to the show, Giles. How are you today? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited that you're here because you and I have known each other for for 14 or 15 years now, I think. And it goes back uh, to our time when we worked together at Lowe's. And, you know, for the listeners, I I kind of wanted to give them a backdrop of what Lowe's was like at that time. Um, I was fairly new new to my job. Um, I'd probably been there, I don't know, it's between six months to a year. And I inherited a group that had come off experiencing the worst cyber security hack that had ever occurred to a retailer at that point in time. And when I took the job, I went through, you know, three, four rounds of interviews. But one of the things that they never showed me was the actual place where I was going to work. So when I arrived in North Wilkesboro at that time, and went to my first day at Lowe's. It was in what used to be their original distribution center for the company, which they had turned into the first company headquarters. And at this point, the only people who worked in this whole facility uh, were members of the IT organization. And I remember walking into the data center for the first time, and the gentleman who was running it said, we have to be very careful because if we put in one more server, we don't have enough power and it could cause the entire thing to go down and the same thing with data. And so I remember as I started to transform the organization, one of the most important things I was trying to do was to get the right members of the team on the bus, so to speak. And I had hired a new leader, um, Chuck Hobbs, and I told him, you know, one of the most critical functions that we're going to have is this new command center that we were building that was going to control all aspects of what was happening on in, from an operational standpoint to the systems, but also the security uh, because we were building a new state-of-the-art security operations command center. And most of the leaders of this group were, were already his, you know, long-term employees. And I told Chuck, we've got to get the right person on board because he or she is going to have to ignite the fire that all the other watch commanders are going to follow and they're going to have to buy into what we're doing. So, you know, Chuck ended up interviewing a lot of people and then he ended up interviewing you and said, I think I've got the guy. And I, uh, my side of the story is at that point, I'm like, well, Chuck, this is so important. I want to interview the guy to make sure he really is. the guy. (laughs) And so that, uh, you know, that led us to our, our first interview our first interview and meeting, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear about it from your perspective. Yeah, I, uh, I was at a point in my career where I wanted to expand my responsibilities and work for a larger company. And, you know, I, I found Lowe's to be a very interesting uh, place uh, to potentially work. I had been through uh, a couple of rounds of interviews with Chuck and some of the members of the leadership team. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I thought everything was going really well. And they said, well, we think you got to come back one more time to speak to the vice president, you know? And, uh, and truthfully, um, at that point I had been interviewing a lot and I had taken a lot of time off from work and I was like, 
oh my gosh, I, I don't know if I could take any more time off, right? You know, I said, well, uh, but you know, it's important, and and I think I really want this job, and so I'm gonna go and, and speak with John, right? So, so we met, and my recollection is our our interview was for about an hour, and you know, you asked me a few questions, and uh, then. And then I asked you, I asked you one question. I said, what, what is your vision for the department? And you proceeded to talk for about a half an hour or 45 minutes and just completely laid it out for me, including, you know, drawing pictures and, 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 and different components of the department and where you wanted to go with it. And then when the interview was done and I went back to my hotel, my wife was waiting for me there, and I said to her, I said, that, that is the guy I want to work for. You know, I was really, I was impressed by your, by your passion for your vision and how you were going to execute it. And I, I really, really wanted to be a part of that. Well, well, thank you for that. And, you know, I, what you didn't uh, get to experience is prior to, prior to that interview, we had spent, um, months and months and months, uh, myself and my leadership team kind of analyzing, you know, what was the true state of the organization? And more importantly, where was it that we needed to go at that point in time to take lows from, you know, it's, you know, I, I almost thought at that time, it was like a family still felt like a family owned company to the true fortune 50 company it was. And so, you know, we set out on embarking on this three to four year journey. Um, and eventually it was going to go beyond that. But, uh, you know, the most first phase was had to transition the data center and we had to create this new state of the art command center where we would, um, you know, I, I guess, give more responsibility to the operators in it to actually do their job and take away from engineering and software developers so that they could concentrate on doing what they were doing. And um, again, you were instrumental to that. But, you know, I think when you joined, um, it was at a point where, you know, when I was interviewing with you, we hadn't yet uh, kind of unleashed this strategy to ignite, you know, you know, everyone in the room and the organization to get on board with it. So I think you came when we were starting to do those town halls with the, with the entire organization. Yeah. My, my, my very, very first day on the job, uh, you held a, a leadership meeting for your entire leadership team. And, and um, as I recall, pretty much you kind of went through what we had talked about a little bit on in our interview, but at a much greater scale and, and in depth about where we were going to go in the next year, three years, five years, 10 years, you know, and, you know, sitting there during that meeting, I knew I had made the right choice, you know, in, in joining Lowe's, you know, and, and I, as uh, the days after that, as I started getting into my job, I remember working in the command center and working towards uh, improving the monitoring that we were doing, uh, improving the team as well, you know, and then, um, one day, probably probably a couple of months after I started, you came into the command center, and you and I were started talking, and 
I started pointing out to you different things that we were doing and, you know, here's where we're monitoring in this and here's where we're improving that and here's what we're trying to do, you know, and, and I said to you, uh, you know, this is all in line with your vision for the department, you know, and you looked at me and said the most curious thing to me, you looked at me and said, you know, Giles, it, it's fine that I have my vision for the command center, but what's your vision for the command center? And John, in my whole career up to that, and I had a pretty long one at that point, uh, no one ever asked me that question. No, no one ever empowered me to make a difference based on my vision, you know? So I sat down and I created what my vision would be, you know? And, and for the time that, that we worked together there and for the time that I worked here, I, I tried to carry out that vision and it, it, it empowered me and it empowered my employees, you know, uh, and we made, we made great strides. And then after I, and then after I left Lowe's and went to, uh, went to Dell, I, tr I tried to carry that same energy with me. And from the time from that day to the day I retired, I carried that energy with me and that, that, passion and that vision to make something of my own my own and i'm i'm thankful that you asked me that question that well, day well thank you so much for that that it's it's great to hear and you know one of the things i i had learned um specifically when when i was in the military and if if you ever read um his books general uh, stan mccrystal talks about it uh, this philosophy that you need to be eyes on and hands off and that's what I always felt that a leader needed to do, meaning you had to be eyes on knowing that, you know, you were giving your, you know, you were giving those around you the knowledge and the vision of what needs to be accomplished, but hands off because I, you know, I, the command center ran seven by 24, 365 days a year, and there's no way you could be there every moment of it. So I had to believe that, you know, you and your peers who were leading that, were not only capable, but had it within you to, to make decisions that were going to be far better than the decisions I could make because you were actually living them. And I, I don't know if you remember, but uh, probably when you, when you first joined, we were still going through the period where we were having out, you know, major outages fairly frequently. And, and I just remember, you know, for me, at this point, it was two, three, sometimes four times a week. I was getting woken up in the middle of the night and then having to stay up three, four hours a night. And I remember talking to you about, you know, I had this like vision of we had to create this thing that I referred to as a service view. I don't know if you remember that, but I wanted, you know, if, if low, you know, so if Lowe's.com is operating, you know, what the consumer sees is Lowe's.com. What they don't see are the 200 subsystems that sit below it, that if any one of those is down, it can affect what the experience is. And that's what we were trying to perfect is to build these right. trees that would uh, come up to it. And, you know, it's a lot more complicated than it, than it seems. So what, what did you find as you were, as you were leaving Lowe's and, and going to Dell, um, you know, what was that transition like for you? And, and what did you think of the different cultures between the two companies? That's, uh, that's an interesting question, because wow, the, the cultures between those two companies is like really, really, really different, you know. 
I left Dell because, uh, you know, I, the things that I accomplished at Lowe's, I thought uh, were now kind of becoming um, standard operating procedure, you know, more of a, you know, a, 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 a pretty well-oiled machine, you know. And I was looking for, you know, uh, a new a new challenge, you know. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I talked with you about, uh, about the position at Dell and um, was lucky to join and work for Tim Dixon. And uh, it was the, the cultures. Well, here's what I'll say. You know, Lowe's for as big a company as it is. Dell was a gigantic company, you know, a global, global company with 100,000 employees, you know, uh, people you had to interact with all over the world on a, on a daily basis. Um, so so that, that was the first difference. The, the other difference is that for, uh, for as large a company as Dell is, uh, I found that organizationally it was ever-changing. So, and, and, you, uh, and I do remember you actually warned me of that before I even started there, you know, that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that organizationally they, they change a lot. And, and boy, they did, you know. And in the five years that I was there, uh, Tim Dixon was always my uh, executive director, which people found to be amazing. You know, when I would tell them, yeah, I worked for Tim for five years, they would, they would be like shocked because none of them had the same manager for more than a couple of years before things changed again, you know. Uh, the other thing I'll say, you know, it was um, Dell was a, uh, I was in the IT department working for an IT company, you know. So, uh, so I found that your your uh, quote unquote customers within the business were were equally as smart or smarter than the IT people who were serving them, you know. So that was that was a challenge as opposed to other companies I worked at that were either you know retail or financial or you know uh, service oriented. That the that the user community w- was not as technically savvy as uh, the IT department, but at Dell, at Dell, you had engineers and 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 you know people who were <laughs> extremely smart, and it was always and I felt that it was always a challenge for the IT department to satisfy their user base. Yeah, I always looked at it like. When you were the CIO at Dell, you had 107,000 or however many we had who thought they could do the job better. <laughs> right, and, yeah. and, and most of them had the education uh, to, to do it. So it was, challenge- it, it was challenging. I, I don't, I'm not sure you ever knew this, but you talk about having to change jobs a lot. I, I was originally hired to be the CIO of the consumer business, which at that time was was probably about uh, I don't know, fifteen to eighteen billion of the revenue, and um, I was going to work for this guy named Ron Gehrig's, um, who had been there to kind of revamp uh, the entire consumer image. He had he had come from Motorola, where he had created the Razor, and literally, I I go through. If I thought I interviewed a lot at uh, Lowe's, I must have gone through eight rounds of interviews at. Uh, at Dell. And every time I would interview with Michael, he kept telling me, I want to bring you on because I need people like you who are going to change 
be change catalysts to, to change the way we operate because Lowe's needs to. So I, I, I joined the company and within three weeks, Ron Gehrig's is, is terminated. And so I'm like, now what do I do? So they announced that this, um, you know, they were in title SVPs, but they carried the, the title president. His name was Steve Felice. And, um, and I will never forget this because um, I was told I'm taking over consumer and small medium business as a CIO, which made up about 30 billion of uh, the company's revenue. But Steve was based at Singapore at the time and his entire staff was. So I remember getting on one of the first calls and thinking, well, this is going to be a great, uh, you know, an opportunity. And he invited me to his team meeting. And then he said, you realize you were interviewing for the job. He goes, I can literally have anyone I want to do this job. I could recruit it from anywhere, but you were Ron Gehrig's guys, not, not mine. And I need to make me and my team are going to make an independent assessment. So wow. a few days, you know, about a week later, I board a plane to Singapore to meet, to, to go to a, a week long leadership meeting with a group of people I had never met before where I would come out of it, either keeping my job or losing it. And uh, let's just say, I, I mean, I kept it, but, you know, from sure. that point on, you know, in a, in a period of two years, I, I probably had six or seven different bosses. So you're absolutely right. right. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you um, got to Dell, you were in a, a very different job, but exciting one, I, I would think. You, your mm-hmm. role at that point in time, we had hired a, a guy by the name of Dave Johnson. For those of you who don't know who Dave, Dave Johnson is, he worked for IBM for about 20, 25 years and was responsible for bringing, you know, doing the acquisition of Price Waterhouse and most of their software acquisitions. And he came into Dell with the, he was the head of strategy and corporate development with the charge to turn Dell from being a hardware manufacturer to a services and software company. And so to, to give you a sense of what was going on at that time, we, we literally uh, per year were looking at thousands of companies to acquire and we would do due diligence on a couple hundred of them. And, you know, in a period of about two years, I would end up acquiring about 18 of them. Some of them being as large as, you know, pro systems, which was about a $5 billion acquisition to others being 10, $15 million acquisitions. But you were in the middle of it because you were on that team Mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe you can talk about what your role was. Yeah. Yeah. I went from, I, I went from my role at Lowe's was uh, obviously I, IT operations, you know, boots on the ground kind of role, you know, to, uh, to being a program manager in uh, the IT uh, mergers and acquisitions team. So it was a, it was a, a huge, a huge change for me. At the time, at the time that uh, Tim was forming his team, uh, you know, he had a lot of people on the team that were application-driven, you know, had experience in those areas, but didn't have a lot of people that were experienced on the infrastructure side, you know. So, so I fit the team pretty well from from that perspective, but had zero experience with mergers and acquisitions, you know. So, uh, the 
I think the interesting part was because the team was just forming. Um, I was able to get in when uh, the team was still, you know, there were more people at it after me and that uh, Tim was creating the structure of how that team would operate in. And one of, I think one of the, the great things that we did was to create a playbook, a, a, an IT M&A playbook, which uh, any of the program managers could take with them when they were doing their due diligence or in, in all the way through the uh, transition and integration that they could follow that and we would all be doing it by uh, with, with a standard you know so 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 I was part of uh, helping build that playbook which was exciting and then um, actually was able to take that with me take that process with me when I did my very first acquisition uh, lead. Uh, it, was in, it was interesting because the first one that I was assigned to was a small company called Insight One that was based in Wallingford, Connecticut. And uh, yeah. when, when I showed up, when I showed up there, I found that there, well, when I say I showed up there, when we, when we were doing the due diligence and we were doing some of the pre-closing activities, uh, showed up and there were, there were some guys there from the Dell Services Group, you know? And so there was like this uh, disconnect about who was actually going to be leading the, the acquisition and the integration, you know? Uh, it, it, it all got settled out. Uh, but the for for as many acquisitions that the Dell Services guys had done, they had never seen a playbook like ours. You know, they were they were totally impressed by how prepared we were and how ready we were. We had we had like a couple hundred questions to ask in our in our due diligence, and and it was we were all ready to go. You know, so you know they were they were pretty. Um, impressed by, by the work that we had done around that area. So, so uh, you know, I did quite a few of the, uh, or led quite a few of the IT integrations um, with uh, Insight One, Force 10 Networks, uh, WISE, Smart Terminals. So uh, it, was, it was actually a very fun job. You know, it was uh, you got to meet a lot of different people and go to a lot of different places and and see how other companies worked and uh, you know uh, just a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm not sure if um, it, that was a. You're, you're right that that was a absolutely fascinating time to be with with the company and that playbook you worked on emulated a lot of the same things that that I had brought into Lowe's, such as you had to analyze first then you kind of had to get both sides of the parties on and get them ignited to a common goal and then force them into action and then measure what the results were. But I'm not sure if, if you remember um, or what your thoughts are on this point or not, but to me, I, everyone would, would always point to, you know, the technology systems are the most critical things to, to getting right in these acquisitions. And the more I would look at it, it was the cultural differences I often thought that were the biggest hurdle. And, you know, I'll give you a, a great example of that is when we hired uh, or when we acquired Perot, you know, Dell is a very flat, although it's big, it tends to be a very flat organization, the way decisions are made. 
And Perot, on the other hand, was, was like a military institution, very command and control with everything going up to Peter Altabeff. Did you find that to be true when you were working on these or did you find other factors? Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things. And Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers, according to a recent survey, say Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Just go to Indeed.com slash PassionStruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at PassionStruck.com slash deals. Now, back to PassionStruck. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, technically everybody... You know, technology-wise, infrastructure-wise, everybody was kind of doing the same thing on a different scale. You know, from from my experience, um, I wasn't I wasn't working at Dell when they acquired uh, Perot, uh, but you know, uh, from the other perspective, uh, I remember specifically when Dell acquired Wise Technologies. You know, they were a company of only about six thousand people. You know. And they would, they would, because they were a small company, they would do things very quickly, make decisions very fast. Um, and whereas Dell was a much larger company, you know, they, I think the employees there would get frustrated sometimes when things took longer than they would, than they would do, right? You know, they, you know, well, just for one example, you know, they, they wanted, they all want to do laptops, right? You know, so, you know, in their culture, they would just go buy, uh, you know, however laptops they needed, you know, but at Dell, it was a process where, you know, you had to have budget and you had to have approval and they had to be, you know, there was a wait time and, and they, they would get, they would get frustrated that with where, I mean, I guess you could understand that, but for as big a company as Dell, uh, was I, I think they moved rather quickly for a, for a large company. You know, why Wise was like if they had to make a change, it was like turning the speedboat. And with Dell, if you had to make a change, it was like turning a battleship. You know, it just it, yes. just, it just took longer. Oh. You know. Did you know that Forbes magazine recently cited that over seventy percent of individuals who did personal development courses masterminds, or one-on-one coaching benefited from improved work performance, relationships, and more effective communication skills. 
Here at PassionStruck, we are obsessed with self-development, coaching, and mentorship. That is why we've created a free resource to help you unlock your hidden potential. Because people doing great things in business and life are just like you. They have just gotten some coaching along the way. And we have got you covered so you can too. Let us show you the systems and frameworks that we teach growth-minded individuals to help them to unlock their purpose and live and build a passion-struck life that gets predictable results and gives you the freedom that you actually want. Go to passionstruck.com coaching right now to get started. Many of our listeners are entrepreneurs or small business owners who someday either want to go public or get acquired. If, if you were going to give the listeners some advice on, you know, if you're that smaller company being acquired by, you know, a large behemoth like that, what, what yeah. would some of those, what would some of that advice be? Um, I, I think if your I think if your plan was for your employees to become part of that lo- larger organization, that you know it's a it's a two way street culture wise, right? You know, you may be going from a small company where you know you make changes to your to your technology just by yelling over to the next desk to somebody and say, "Hey, I'm going to change this now," and they change it and they and they go, you know. So we're a, a larger company where there's a lot of structure, you know. So I, I think I think for the the entrepreneur that's considering joining or having his company be uh, acquired by a larger company, and thinking about his employees, about to examine the culture of the bigger company and see and see if that is going to be really a, a good fit for for them, you know. I know I know sometimes when you read about acquisitions and things like that you know you you know people who read about them see dollar signs flying around you know but at the end of the day it's about the people and the culture and and what's left behind yeah well that's a great answer uh, one other thing i you know and i i want you to talk about lowe's dell and then after you left dell what what did you think about the pace and the different environments comparatively uh, well, for, for me, they were, for me, they were quite different jobs, you know, I mean, at Lowe's, the, the, I felt like the pace was very steady, uh, very measured. And, and then at my job at Dell, things, things could change like right away instantly, you know, I mean, you know, my boss might tell me, Hey, you're getting on a plane tomorrow and you're flying to California because something's coming up, you know? Uh, whereas at, at Dell, that that wasn't going to happen in the role in the role that I was in. So, so I, I found the the culture at Lowe's in, for for me to be very structured and very reliable and something I could count on. And then I went to Dell, where you know, uh, as we talked about, the structure changed quite a bit. Things could happen on a moment's notice. Something you, and, and you know, we talk about acquisitions. There, there were many, there were many uh, potential targets that I worked on that we that we didn't that we didn't execute on, and I might have put in I might have put in months and months of work, and then I get word that yeah no we're not going to do that one you know and and and, it, and it's frustrating because it's frustrating because you know you worked hard your boss knows you worked hard. But the people throughout the company kind of looked at it like, 
what have you been doing for the last couple of months, right? You know, so, so, it, uh, so I, I, it was, it was different in that, in that perspective, for sure. Well, and also given the fact that what you were doing, you couldn't talk about because all these things right. were highly, highly confidential, especially mm-hmm. given uh, the public nature of, of Dell. Right. So, so then you, you end up leaving Dell and then um, walk me through that and then kind of bring me up to speed um, from leaving there to, to today. And then oh, we'll get okay. into your new, your, and then we'll get into your new passion. All right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I left Dell in January of 15. Um, and um, frankly, not, not of my own accord. So there was a big uh, organizational change after Andy Karabudis left uh, as CIO. Uh, Michael Dell uh, merged the IT and, and uh, what they called EDEL at, at the time uh, and merged those two departments. And that caused some uh, organizational changes, and my department uh, was eliminated. So, so I left. I left Dell at the end of January of fifteen. So, you know, I searched for I, I searched for work. Um, you know, I focused on I focused on finding an opportunity where um, I could really make a difference culturally. You know, after we had talked about you know uh, earlier today about empowerment, empowerment, I was looking for an opportunity where, you know, I would be empowered and have the ability to make, to make changes. Right. You know, and, uh, and so I went to work for a a smaller company in San Antonio called Facility and Facility is uh, um, uh, one of their subsidiaries is a company called KCI. Uh, that makes uh, medical post-op wound uh, restoration devices. So, so, uh, so I went to work there, and um, it really was a great opportunity because the team, the team that I was taking on, uh, was pretty much in a shambles. They didn't have a very good reputation of, uh, you know, throughout the department or throughout the company. And it was an opportunity to uh, really make a difference, you know. So I was the uh, director of of uh, infrastructure there. So I had the I had the uh, IT engineering group uh, for both uh, Windows and Linux-based systems. Didn't have responsibility for the data center until a little bit before I left, uh, but. But but had the engineering had the engineering team so okay uh, so the the first the first thing I did was uh, I started going around to as many executives that would meet with me as many of the other department managers that would meet with me and I wanted to get their assessment of what my team was like you know and. Um, and boy, I really, I really got a lot of different answers, you know, well, you know, what they thought my team did. Uh, and in fact, the team had such a terrible uh, reputation. One guy actually told me uh, that, uh, that the nickname for my team was server, and I'll say witches, because it sounds, it rhymes with witches, right? So, so uh so i the team did not have a very good reputation at all so i knew i knew that there had to be a couple of things i you know 
And, and the very first thing I needed to do was to create the team's identity. So I, 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 as a team, we defined, we defined our, our mission statement and our, 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 our objective for the team. And then I created a plan on how to start executing that within the next 30, 60, 90 days. Uh, and then I went back to all those executives and I said, okay, here's who we are. Here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. You know, so, uh, and, and it's funny, uh, it's this kind of funny story, but uh, in order to emphasize that the team needed an identity, I used a slide that had, had uh, Superman or Clark Kent opening <laughs> up his shirt and having Superman on there. And I actually, I posted that thing up. I posted that thing up in the front of our area in the That's office. That's great. So that, um, so that people could read and know what we did, right? So, well, don't you know that the next thing you know, the group next to us throws up a thing of Iron Man and the group down the road uh, throws up the Hulk. And next thing you know, you got Spider-Man, Batman. Everybody has identified their group with a superhero, you know? It was, it was almost the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and I guess the point of the story is that we, we, that we created a cultural change within the whole department by, by helping teams create an identity for themselves, you know, and, you know, to keep a long story short, um, you know, our, my team did a com complete turnaround. I mean, it was painful and you know that it can be painful that some hard decisions had to be made about personnel and you had to hire better people and you had, had to get people training. Uh, but, you know, with my experience uh, at that point, I was, I was able to do it and very successful and I was really happy about it. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, and so as a result, um, what, what was the, the impact, you know, your team went from having this terrible reputation to, you know, when you ended up retiring, what, what was the turnaround like? Well, um, here, here I, I can tell you that at, at the entrance to our area, we had a, a, a giant whiteboard that we would, you know, write on and, you know, and, and brainstorm with and everything. And, and one day I came into the office and somebody had uh, written on the whiteboard and they wrote, awesome team. And they pointed an arrow down the alley towards where we sit, right? You know, and to this day, I don't know who did it. You know, it wasn't anybody from our team, but somebody was declaring that we were an awesome team, you know? So, uh, so from the standpoint of culturally going from having a terrible reputation to at least one other person in that, in that department, thought that we were awesome, you know, and, and I, 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 you know, besides some of the infrastructure improvements that we made technology wise, you know, the, the culture part was always a big part to me and we turned that around completely. That's fantastic. And, you know, if you're, if, if you're a listener out there and they're, they're an employee, um, you know, a department manager or director, you know, wanting to make change, what, what were some of the biggest pieces of advice that you would summarize from this experience? 
Um, well, you know, as far as being a leader, um, I, I had a guy work for me at Dell, uh, who also came to work for me at, uh, Acelity. And, um, you know, when, when I was interviewing for my job at Acelity, I actually went to him and said, you know, tell me something about me, right? You know, and he said to me, he goes, you're the best boss I ever had, you know? And I said, well, what, what makes me the best boss you ever had, right? And here's what he told me. He says, you're honest, trustworthy. He goes, you're a no bullshit guy. He said, and no, no subject is off limits. So, so for him, so for him to have someone who would be honest with him, good or bad, right? You know, and who he could talk to about anything or any topic and not be put off was important to him. So those were, I mean, those were some of the qualities that I had as a leader. And for people who are, you know, starting up companies and planning on having employees, those are the things I think that, are, that should be important to them as well. That's great. That's great advice. Now, let's now talk about your, your in retirement and <laughs> your, you know, because one of the things that, you know, I try to focus on with PassionStruck is part of this, you know, formula to me is for people who, you know, they're growth-minded individuals and they're in the beginning portions of their career, maybe mid-part career, but to me, you can be passion struck at any age. And I think more and more we go through several reinventions of ourselves over, over time and it's becoming sure. more dynamic. So you, you end up going into retirement and finding a passion that before this time you, you never knew even existed. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, and, um, no, I was going to say, so how, how did that, you know, what, what was life like at that point for you? And what was that key turning point that kind of turned or ignited your fire to go pursue this? Yeah. Um, so I retired in 2018. And uh, it, admittedly, I, I, I retired pretty suddenly and probably earlier than I really planned to. There, there had been a lot of uh, changes within the company that I was working for. And uh, didn't really want to work in that environment anymore. So I knew I was close enough. So I said, you know, what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna retire and, and and move on, you know. But I think, I think for me, you know, it was, you know, at that point, you know, you don't have, you know, every day Saturday for a little while, right? You know, you don't have to think about deadlines or projects or people or or anything like that anymore. You just have to, you know, worry worry about yourself, you know. And, and for me, I was never really a guy with big hobbies, you know, you know, I, I didn't fish, I didn't work on cars, you know, my, my passion was always my work, you know, I, I just got, I got into my job and, and that's kind of where I was for, for many years, you know, so now here I was, here I was, um, you know, basically sitting around enjoying life and maybe enjoying it a little bit uh too much you know <laughs> so so i kind of i kind of let myself go and uh uh I, I i i gained a lot of weight my health started going a different way I was struggling with high blood pressure and you know I, I i got to a point where i said you know 
I got I got to do something about this, right? And I just can't be I can't be doing this every every day, you know. So I started doing normal things that you know that that people might do. I started walking. I started running. I really running. I really hate running, right? I I just I you know I I know that there's you know the runners out there and the marathoners are out there. You know, right. but for me, I, I just could never, I could never get into it. You know, I, I played sports. I played sports my whole life up to uh, a year in college. And of course, running, you know, I was a football player and, you know, of course, is running part of that. Right. But it's but it's the game that 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 I loved, you know. Uh, so it's like uh, just I just wasn't getting it, you know. And and then uh, my wife had gone to Florida to visit her um uh, parents and uh her brother lives there too and her brother had taken up indoor rowing you know because he had some of the same issues as me and so when my wife got home she says you know uh, joe bought a rower you know and, and i'm like i never really thought about rowing before you know and and truthfully this is the truth i used to i used to watch house of cards right and in house cards kevin spacey rode on a water rower right so i i said you know what i'm i'm gonna buy a water rower because i just because i thought just because i thought it looked cool you know and then john when i when i got the water rower and i sat on that thing for the first time it was like it was like i was it was like i was hit by lightning right i just i just felt the connection with that thing and fell in love with it you know, I, I sat down on the rower and I, I just fell in love with with the whole motion of it and the, the sound of it and the movement of it. And uh, then I found I started doing everything uh, to make myself a better rower. So I I knew I had to eat better because I had a I had a pretty large belly and I was not comfortable rowing. So I knew I had to eat better. Um I knew I had to sleep better. I knew I had to, uh, on the days I didn't row, still take care of myself. So still go for long walks, you know. Um, I get into, I got into weightlifting a little bit, bought myself some dumbbells, started building up my strength so I could row better, you know. And I've just, uh, I've just over the past year and a half, have just create you know i i just have a love for this thing that i it's something i look forward to every single day and the days that that maybe i can't do it really i really miss it and and want to get on that thing um well it, that's a that's a great story and there's a few things here i want to unpack yeah. you know so the first thing is i i think people when they're searching for new hobbies or activities, it's, it's difficult uh, to figure out where to start. And one of the things I like to say is you need to kind of do it in a similar way to what you did it. And, and, and what I, what I sometimes tell people is, you know, why don't you take a couple weekends a month and just go try out a new activity, you know, play tennis, mm -hmm. see if you like it, play, you know, go cycling, um, you know, take a boot camp class and eventually you're going to find an activity that aligns with what you feel good about, whether that's, you know, a, a sports activity like rowing, you know, whether that's, you know, shooting golf, shooting guns, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, you're eventually going to find it. 
but it's going to take some experiment experimentation, but through that, you'll find what you like and what you don't like. And I think the second thing is you didn't tell me about at that point in time, what your fears were, but, um, you know, I could surmise that part of it had to do with, with your health and trying to get your arms around feeling better. Um, but it, it, it's a, it's a journey and, you know, having spent, a heck of a lot of time in Orange Theory gyms where we do a lot of rowing, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. If, if um, you know, rowing is much more physically demanding than you would think at first, but definitely if you're trying to get as close as you can when you're, you know, when you're in your uh, tight ball position, you know, absolutely having a flat chest is going to matter <laughs> a lot more than not. And, and it also... Yeah it also gives you that cardiovascular uh, boost. So, you know, you going down that path of identifying, you know, I got to eat better. I've got to, you know, incorporate other things. I've got to sleep. Did you find you started to change your routines at all? I did. I, I found that, you know, um, that uh, I'd start getting up earlier. You know, I, uh, I, I, started, I started doing um, some intermittent fasting uh, so that I was, uh, doing my activities on an empty stomach so that I was burning more, more fat than, than, uh, than, uh, sugar, you know? So, so I started changing some of my eating habits in order to, uh, incorporate that, uh, and improve my, improve my rowing and improve my fitness. So, yeah, I, I, I did. And, you know, and to your point about experimenting with things, you know, in my retirement, I mean, that was, you know, uh, uh, you know, rowing wasn't the first thing I tried, you know, it's, uh, you know, I tried my hand at some woodworking, which I wasn't that great at some gardening, which I, you know, if you want to, if you want to kill a plant, let me know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know, but I, you know, I tried, I, I did, I experimented with a few things to kind of deal with activity and, you know, and stress related type type of things, you know? Yeah. And I remember along that way, you and I had, um, I can't remember if it was a phone discussion or a text discussion, but I, I told you, you know, that I had started writing. And so, um, I don't know if I helped you down that path at all, but now you, you've become a blogger as well. And, uh, your articles are, are quite good. So oh, I think you, you, you had a hidden, hidden talent there. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, and John, it, it kind of goes with my passion for rowing, you know, I mean, I never really thought about writing. Yeah. You and I did have a text conversation about writing and I sat back and I said, well, what can I start writing about? Well, and I, I wanted to write about rowing and, and, you know, how important it is to me and the, and the, and the benefits that, that uh, I've experienced from it. You know, one of, one of my recent blogs, I talked, I actually talked about the, the correlation between rowing and mindfulness, you know, where you would think that they were completely opposite uh, in, in nature, you know, whereas, you know, mindfulness, you think about meditation and being quiet, you know, and with rowing, your, 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 your heart is getting up the max rate at times, you know, but, but when you're in that, when you're in that rowing stroke, you know, it's, it's not like walking on a treadmill where you can just walk along and you, you know, you, you, you're watching TV or something like that. When you're in that rowing stroke and you are pushing hard, you know, your mind has to be there now, right then. And, and 
I, I love that, you know, and I find that I need to focus on every single stroke that I take. And I find that that helps me forget all my other worries or concerns, you know, that I enter that, that state of mindfulness right, right then and there, you know, and I find it to be, you know, both a great cardiovascular thing, but also a, 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 a great stress reliever at the same time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, for me, I, I do that in the gym. You know, I, I, I do that cycling. And, you know, one of, one of my favorite activities I haven't been able to do as much recently is, is yoga as well. And, you, you know, I, I would find sometimes yoga classes that are an hour long feel like they're five or 10 minutes because you're just so caught up in, you know, letting go of all the stresses and everything and, and being in tune with, with yourself and, kind of going through priorities, which we don't often get a lot of time to think about. Yeah, so, sure. you know, so let me, let's end this portion with, you know, let's talk about the aftermath, you know, so now, now you're rowing all the time so much so that you can't go on vacation without taking your, your rower with you. <laughs> you know, what, what's, what's life like now, um, you know, that you've been doing this for a while and when, when and how are things different? One of the things I'll say, one of the things that's different is I've looked at it now and I have, I've, I've set certain goals for myself. You know, I, I set daily goals. I set weekly goals. I set monthly goals and I set yearly goals. All right. So as far as, as far as either my weight loss or the amount of exercise I want to do uh, or how much writing I want to do, how much reading I want to get accomplished uh how much cooking i want to accomplish because i like to cook as as well you know so and so i i've set goals for myself to do that so so one i have daily goals so that helps me with my routine you know um you know i start every i start every morning with about 10 to 15 minutes worth of meditation uh i'll have i'll have some coffee i'll i'll uh, i'll read for a little while then I'll write for a little while and then I'll get on the rower, you know, and then, and then after, and then after that's done, whatever, whatever jobs the warden has for me after that, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I do them. So, uh, so it's, it's helped me create that routine for myself that I can, you know, that I can, I can row with a purpose, you know, for these, these are my goals and this is what I want to accomplish. Well, you know, it's interesting you brought all that up because after we're done here today, I've got to record my, I, I call them Momentum Fridays. So on, for those of you who are a new listener on Tuesday, I download an interview like this one. And on Fridays, I, I kind of give an inspirational message. And this week's is actually on the importance of habits and more specifically, why you have to have an impenetrable morning routine and why it's so important to have that because it sets up your day, week, months, years by getting in that habit. So that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could have paid you for that, Giles. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm going to um, take you now to my favorite part of the episode, and I'm going to go through what I call the rapid round of questions. Uh-oh. And I just want you to answer uh you know, first thing that comes to your mind and don't overthink it and, uh, you know, shoot these out, uh, as I ask them. So <laughs> you're re- you ready for this? Uh, all right, let's go. 
Okay, first one. If you could meet anyone alive or dead who you haven't met before, who would it be and why? Oh, boy. Um, wow. I, don't overthink it. I, I'm President Kennedy. I think I would want to meet President Kennedy. I, I think I think he had a very interesting life. Uh, you know, would want to hear about his journey from from the Navy to politics to to getting elected. Uh, the 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 uh, views he had on both civil rights and the space program were very innovative and progressive at the time. So I think I think if I chose anybody to meet or talk to, I think it would be him. Okay, great. Um, if you could win any award, what would it be and why? Uh, I, I think the award I would want to win is Father of the Year. You know? That's great. <laughs> I think, uh, I think uh, you know, when we talk about passions, you know, uh, I think the greatest job is being a dad. Uh, I got four uh, beautiful grown children and seven grandchildren and i love them to death and my my favorite job my whole life has been being a father and uh, being there for my kids well i today is a big day for me as a father as well because my uh my youngest turns 17 today so wow happy birthday <laughs> olivia happy um, birthday olivia <laughs> what is the most important life lesson for someone to learn I think the most important life lesson for someone to learn is to, is to do what you love. Uh, my, dad, my dad always used to tell me growing up, he'd say, Giles, do what you love and the money will follow. Right? And, and what he meant by that was if you love doing what you do, then you'll always be happy. You'll always have enough money because you, because you love doing what you're doing, you know? Um, you know, um, uh, my my four kids have wide ranging different jobs. Uh, one's a business analyst, uh, one's an IT architect, and the other one is a high school football coach. And my daughter is a stay at home mom. You know, and I truly believe that they all love what they do. You know, uh, you know, from a school teacher salary, you know, to a one income family, you know, uh, sometimes money can be tough, you know, but, but from my standpoint, they're the happiest people, they're the happiest people in the world, you know, and, and when you're happy, you'll always have enough. That's great. Who is your favorite superhero and why? <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, Superman, but. <laughs> well, well, it was growing, growing up, Superman was always, was always my favorite. I had, I, when I was a kid, I had quite a comic book collection and, and Superman was the staple of that. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think as much as for his superpowers, you know, I think, I think that his, uh, I'll say, uh, patriotism and, and, and pure purity of nature, you know, I mean, that, those are the things that I always admire about Superman. That's great. Um, you're going to like this one. If you were to colonize <laughs> Mars, <laughs> and as the person who colonized it, you could establish one law, what would that be? If I, uh, one law would be, would be treat everybody else the way that you want to be treated. Okay, good one. Okay, and since you've now spent a number of years living in Texas, 
I've got to end <laughs> on this one. What are three words that describe living in Texas? <laughs> um, three words that describe living in Texas. Patriotism, guns, and land. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have, from my time there, I, 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 as I was thinking about that question, um, and those are the three good ones, I was going to say uh, football, pickup trucks, and um, and cowboy boots. Yeah, for sure, uh, absolutely, for sure. There's a lot of words that describe Texas. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a I'm a New Yorker by nature. You know, uh, a native New Yorker, and then moving to Texas, I I tell Texans, and sometimes they don't like to hear this, but I tell Texans that that they're very much like New Yorkers. You know, and and. They may they may not want to hear that, but but Texans are very loyal to their state, and New Yorkers are very loyal to New York. You know, uh, they're they're insanely crazy drivers in New York, and there's insanely crazy drivers in Texas as, as well. You know, and um, they're just they're just passionate about their regions, and and so that. Very, I find the nature of those two states to be very similar, even though they're widely different as far as culture and politics may go. That's great. Well, <laughs> Giles, we'll, we'll leave it there. I, I loved my time, my two times I've lived in Texas as well. And I did the reverse kind of a view. I started in Houston, then moved to Austin. You started in Austin, San Antonio, and now you're outside of Houston. So kind of opposite cycles there. But thank you so much for, for joining the show and so, so much wisdom you have for the listeners to unpack. And, uh, oh, I, I wanted to end with this. If they wanted to, to read your blogs and learn more about uh, your passion for rowing, where should they go? Oh, it's giles-stewart.com. Um, so um, don't forget the hyphen between my first and last name, but... Uh, there you can find my my homepage and the link to my blogs and, and some pictures and things about my my story and my journey for rowing. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Giles. Great to have you on the show. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks very much for having me. It was great talking with you. What a great episode with Giles Stewart today. Boy, did he have a lot to cover. Everything from you know, how he got into our relationship at Lowe's to what he learned from that and took with him to Dell, then how he used all that information in his last role before retirement to completely turn an organization around and explained his words of wisdom for growth seekers out there to learn from that and use it and apply it in their own lives. And then he went into finding your passion after 65 and how he went on this journey of his health declining, not really having a purpose and experimenting and finding that rowing ended up being his purpose and has made such a difference, not only for him physically, but in the routines and other things that he set up. So happy to have him on today and hope you enjoyed this episode so much and glad we could bring it to you. Thank you so much for listening to Passion Struck. And please listen to us again every Tuesday and Friday. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. 
by sharing the knowledge and insights you can use to unlock your hidden potential. To hear more, please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell three of your most driven and motivated friends about the show and post to your social accounts, that would help us grow our Passion Star community too. If you want more tools to unlock your potential, please make sure to also visit our website, passionstruck.com, to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. Be sure to tune in on Tuesdays and Fridays for our next episodes. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.